Hey everybody, thanks for joining me. I'm Becky Campos with Becoming a Critical Health Thinker. And you're listening to episode 46, Sugars for Life, part six. You don't have to go there. Well, guess what? Did you know that uh, about the only thing that I didn't do wrong back in my unhealthy years was I never consumed artificial sweeteners, ever. I considered it uh, something to stay away from. I couldn't even tell you what they taste like. Somehow I was able to abstain from consuming them after hearing early reports, oh, way back in the days when I was young, about the dangers of artificial manufactured sweeteners. And so I stayed clear of them. And it's also about the only manufactured, fabricated, artificial product I did not feed my children and my family. So can you believe it? Nothing to be proud of, though. And uh, I remember growing up and hearing about how these particular artificial sweeteners could cause cancer or um actually interfere with your neurotransmitters and so forth cell signaling and to be quite honest i mean i just knew very little about it but it did frighten me to the point where i just stayed clear of them and i wish i had been more conscious and consistent about the entirety of lifestyle medicine but i wasn't and so about the only thing i did not do wrong is consume the artificial sweeteners that we're going to be talking about. And I also, by the grace of God, uh, was able to stay clear of any um, alcohol or substance of um, nicotine or any kind of substance of that matter. And so those were the two things that I was frightened about, but none of the other stuff was even on the radar that I've been talking about. Artificial sweeteners are pretty amazing Um, they're an amazing discovery for sure but they come with great warnings from the health and wellness industry and rightly so so we're going to talk a little bit about them artificial sweeteners are categorized as non-caloric non-nutritive artificial sweeteners sugars for life is when you get down to it all about sugars and sweeteners that are structured to our being that can be safely consumed and artificial sweeteners have proven to be not only not structured to our being but certainly not safe to consume in today's podcast i'd like to introduce you to these popular artificial sweeteners define them categorize them and talk about how the body uh, metabolizes them or not Well, defining artificial sweeteners is an easy smeezy work because its name alone has done a lot of the work for me, right? Artificial sweeteners are synthetic sugar substances and man-made originally manufactured to replace table sugar. They are less expensive to produce than table sugar or other sweeteners. And due to the rise of uh, the overconsumption of table sugars in all sorts of foods and increase in diseases such as diabetes and insulin resistance, artificial sweeteners were deemed as a helpful solution for persons with blood sugar concerns but this couldn't be further from the truth as we shall see while the work of understanding artificial sweeteners has mostly already been done for us by its own name so how easy is that 
If a product, whether food related or not, is artificial, it has been manufactured by human skill, in this case, scientifically produced to mimic sweetness. So mimicking is a good word to use here. I really like this word. Although artificial sweeteners mimic sugars to some extent, that is all they have in common with table sugars or natural plant sweeteners. Here are a few things to remember about artificial sweeteners that will be helpful to you in your journey to becoming a critical health thinker. Well, first, artificial sweeteners are not metabolized or digested by the digestive system due to their non-choleric nature and they do not contribute any carbohydrates, fats, or proteins or nutrients of any sort, making them non-choleric. Second, when artificial sweeteners are consumed, the cell receptors on the tongue or taste buds and throughout the body, such as the pancreas, send a message to the brain, specifically the hypothalamus, to expect calories in form of sugar or carbohydrates or food of some sort. Since artificial sweeteners, however, are not metabolized by the digestive system, the body's cell signaling and brain chemistry's good condition, normal efficient function are interrupted, confusing the cell signaling so much so that instead, when sugar is not received, the brain sends the message to the digestive system that there are insufficient calories coming in and therefore the stomach signals the hormone ghrelin that increases appetite. So you can see the vicious cycle when someone is consuming uh, an alternative sweetener, uh, artificial sweetener, in order to reduce calories and to reduce the consumption of sugars. Um, and yet uh, that is not achieved because the signaling, the cell signaling has been interfered with, then there is potential for the very thing that they're trying to avoid weight gain. These products have been on the market for decades and yet they haven't made a dent in reducing the obesity and diseases of affluence of the Western culture such as diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. It's of course just one of many reasons why these diseases have increased in spite of millions of Americans' consumption of artificial sweeteners. Well, a good thing here is that stevia does not seem to have the same effect on the appetite, although it too is a non-nutritive sweetener, but is a natural herbal source, unlike a chemically bound uh, neurotoxin manufactured source. Artificial sweeteners in the health and wellness industry are considered neurotoxins to be avoided. Stevia, on the other hand, a plant kingdom source, seems to be working better in reducing calories and also providing sweetness to our foods without all of these other interactions. Now, of course, you want to consume the purest forms that have not been combined with plant alcohols or other sugars. The FDA approved only the purified form of stevia called steviacide as safe to use. And the best products considered safe 
contain words in their ingredient list such as stevia extract or stevia rebaudiana and those would be some of the best stevia products. And another reason to be concerned about artificial sweeteners is that they are known to interrupt the majestic microbiome universe located in the large intestine. They do so because of their chemically bound structures, molecule structures that affect the microbiome balance, which is defined by the National Human Genome Research Institute as, quote, the microbiome is a community of microorganisms such as fungi, bacteria, and viruses that exist in a particular environment in humans. The term is often used to describe the microorganisms that live in or on a particular part of the body, such as the skin or gastrointestinal tract. These groups of microorganisms are dynamic and change in response to, guess what? A host of environmental factors such as exercise, diet, medication, and other exposures, unquote. Microbiome studies over the last few decades have uh, afforded us this great realization that there are trillions of fungi, bacteria, and viruses living in unison with us, uh, residing in the gut, the large intestine specifically, and that they play a key role in assisting us in our body's natural self-healing, self-cleansing, and self-rejuvenating capabilities. And this work has exploded in the health and wellness industry and is helping us to further understand how we can help them, the microbiome, to help us, so to speak, by avoiding the countless of ways we can interrupt their marvelous work. And that is a very good thing. Here's a great quote by a Dr. Julie Segri, PhD, Chief and Senior Investigator of the Translational and Functional Genomics Branch. Quote, I love it. These microbes that live on your skin or in your gut also are wonderful in providing colonization resistance. They're basically taking up all the space so that the pathogens that might want to try to invade humans don't have the opportunity. And that's really our greatest protection against microbes that want to colonize us but don't help in our health. Unquote. Well, don't you find that fascinating? Well, there are countless of other ways to interrupt the microbiome, but guess what? We don't have to go there. I am the poster child for interrupting everything good about my human design, including my microbiome. Once I embraced the work of becoming a critical health thinker, however, and mastering lifestyle medicine, my body's natural self-healing, self-cleansing, and self-rejuvenating capabilities returned to me. And uh, so today I take nothing for granted. Now it turns out that man-made chemical structures such as antibiotics, birth control, prescription drugs, preservatives, uh, pesticides, colors, dyes, 
all potentially disrupt the microbiome's good condition, normal, efficient function. And we can add artificial sweeteners to the long list of ways to interfere with this microbiome, especially in long-term use due to their chemically bound structures. And, and although the FDA has categorized artificial sweeteners as grass, a generally recognized as safe product, the health and wellness industry does not, simply due to the principle that they are not structured to our being. Now, one might say neither are antibiotics and we still use them when needed, and that is true. But artificial sweeteners are not needed since there are other forms of sugar sweeteners more structured to our being and readily available for us. We don't have to go there. And another reason to be concerned about artificial sweeteners are that they seem to be addictive due to their highly palatable sensory effect. And the more you consume them, the more risk for addiction due to the false security persons experience thinking that they can consume high quantities of it or of other foods due to their non-choleric nature. However, we could say this about all kinds of sweeteners, whether natural or artificial. They too can become addictive due to their pleasurable effects, but artificial sweeteners in specific due to their non-choleric nature. While there is no real reason to consume them any more than there is any reason to consume any of the other industrial man-made chemically bound food additives, trans fats, or highly processed refined omega-6 oils. There are other more natural uh, items and products and uh, ingredients that we can turn to to sweeten our foods. So as the old saying goes in the health and wellness community, if you have the choice between a little packet containing white sugar or a packet with artificial sweeteners to sweeten your coffee or tea, it is better for you to choose the white sugar. That's how bad artificial sweeteners are for you. Oh my, so let's take an up close and personal look at the four most popular artificial sweeteners on the market. I'm only going to describe them a little bit, give a little bit of history and that's about it. But this is the least information that you should uh, hold on to and not the most. You certainly can uh, use some of the resources that I'll be sharing with you in just a bit to further uh, study these particular artificial sweeteners. While these four artificial sweeteners have five things in common, they're readily available, they've been around for decades, discovered in strange ways, and you'll find them throughout our food supply, and they are very affordable. Well, first, aspartame. Aspartame is identified as a white, crystalline, slightly water-soluble, non-carbohydrate powder synthesized from amino acids that are 150, 150 to 200 times sweeter than sugar produced from aspartic acid and it does not have impact on blood sugars. And uh, there's so much information on it really. Aspartame is marketed here in the United States as NutraSweet and Equal. 
in the blue little tabletop packets. That's how their marketing brand. There's so much controversy surrounding its safety since its discovery in 1965, and it was discovered by James A. Schlatter, an American chemist and researcher researching guess what, an anti-ulcer drug. And Mr. Schlatter accidentally discovered that aspartame was sweet when he licked his finger to turn a page in a book. Within time, his findings were marketed as an artificial sweetener by the brand name NutraSweet. The company that produced it is the Gideon D. Searle & company, which was a pharmaceutical company most known for developing the first woman's birth control pill and the artificial sweetener NutraSweet. In 1985, Monsanto Company acquired Searle for $2.7 billion, and Searle was bought by Monsanto in 1985. In March 2000, Monsanto, which was then a subsidiary of the Pharmacia Corporation, sold NutraSweet to the private equity firm J.W. Childs Associates. In July 2018, then Manos Bio Incorporated bought the former NutraSweet plant in Augusta, Georgia and reopened the plant to produce the next generation of natural ingredients. Now, according to the Calorie Control Council, aspartame is found in six, about 6,000 products around the world, including carbonated soft drinks, powdered soft drinks, chewing gum, confectioners, uh, gelatins, dessert mixes, puddings and fillings, frozen desserts, um, yogurts, tabletop sweeteners, and some pharmaceuticals such as vitamins and sugar-free cough drops. And so here, all these little bit of uh, information can give us a good bird's eye view of how much our pharmaceutical industries and food industries are connected. Now, aspartame is metabolized in the gastrointestinal tract and broken down, releasing aspartic acid, phenylalanine, and methanol in small amounts, and it is not absorbed into the bloodstream. It is a highly controversial substance suspected of causing neurological and behavioral disorders in humans, uh, suspected in the cause of neuropsychiatric reactions such as headaches, convulsions, and depression. And although there are hundreds of articles both for and against aspartame, a great one here is found on the National Library of Medicine site entitled aspartame true or false well you should check it out now aspartame is not sustainable in heat therefore not recommended for baking but is used in a variety of ways to sweeten sodas and beverages and yogurts sauces and even chewing gum Now sucralose. Sucralose is identified as a white crystalline that is produced synthetically from sucrose about 600 times sweeter than sucrose, but having no calories. Uh, Splenda is made of sucralose and comes in the little yellow packet. Well, it's well known. I see it every time I go through any of the stores that I'm shopping and uh, you'll find it there, but guess where you won't find it? You won't find it 
at Sprouts because they're committed to as close to possible um, natural ingredients in the products that they sell. So that's kind of a, a really good thing to think about, right? That there are um, companies and food companies that are doing the best that they can to provide more natural uh, ingredients in their food supply. Sucralose was discovered in 1976 by scientists from Tate and Lyle working with researchers in um, Queen Elizabeth College. And so um, as they were working there, one of the researchers, Shashikant Finaz, misheard instructions about testing a substance and instead he tasted it, discovering that it was exceptionally sweet. Can you believe it? While you may find Splenda or sucralose in processed foods, meats, chewing gum, treats, cakes, and even toothpaste. And of course, you will find it at restaurants everywhere. The Food and Drug Administration has categorized uh, uh, sucralose for use as a general purpose sweetener, meaning it can be used as an ingredient in any type of food or beverage. Sucralose is exceptionally stable, so foods and beverages sweetened with sucralose stay sweet under a wide range of conditions. And this includes frozen foods like ice cream and other frozen desserts, as well as foods that need to be heated to high temperatures like baked goods and foods that require sterilization. Well, sucrose is made from a process that begins with regular table sugar, and uh, they take three um, groups of sucrose molecules and they replace them with chlorine atoms preventing digestive enzymes from breaking it down and so uh, most of it is consumed but not absorbed by the body and it is excreted through the feces and uh, also anything that has been absorbed is excreted quickly in the urine and so this is a darling of the food industry because it is so multi-purposed and they can use it for baking or they can use it in ice cream. So temperature does not affect it the way that aspartame uh, temperature reduces the sweetness in aspartame. Well, saccharin is next and it is identified as a white crystalline powder, 300 more times sweeter than sugar, made by oxidizing the chemicals otulin, sulfonamide, and phthalic anhydride and it is a pink tabletop little packet that you see everywhere in the restaurants. In 1897, Johns Hopkins University graduate student Constantine Falberg was working in his professor's lab trying to discover new uses for coal tar, a waste product from processing coal. And after work, he goes home to have dinner and eats some bread. When he tastes the bread, he tastes something sweet, not just sweet, but 300 times sweeter. Uh, and uh, he hadn't washed his hands properly and somehow transferred this sweet taste from his work in the lab to the bread. So he returned to the lab and decides to test all of the substances he has been working with by tasting each one. And he discovers that one of the compounds that he has been studying other uses for called benzoic sulfamide uh, is actually 
a sweet compound. He called it saccharin, the Latin word for sugar. And since sugar is an expensive commodity to produce due to weather, processing, and shipping, he sought to market saccharin as a sugar substitute since it was more inexpensive to produce because it could be produced in a laboratory. Now in World War I, uh, this time in history brings a sugar shortage and that brings awareness of this new product. Up to then it hadn't been as popular and so people began to use it as a way of sweetening their foods and helping the war efforts. Next is cyclamate. Now cyclamate is uh, discovered in 1937 by a University of Illinois graduate student, Michael Sveta who is working on an antifever medication when he stops to smoke a cigarette and lays it down and then picks it up and discovers a sweet taste on his fingers. He names it Cyclamate. It becomes a favorite way to sweeten diet sodas, but was banned from the U.S. after tests linked it to bladder cancer. Sulfonamide was banned in 1969. However, it is still widely used today in many parts of the world, but banned here in the United States for possible carcinogenic effects. Next, acylsulfame potassium, identified and made from the process that involves the transformation of an organic intermediate acetoacetic acid and its combination with a naturally occurring mineral potassium to form a highly stabilized sweetener. Acesulfame potassium was developed after the accidental discovery of a similar compound by Carl Kloss and Harold Jensen after Kloss accidentally dipped his fingers into the chemicals with which he was working to pick up a piece of paper. And I am fascinated by all of the details behind the products that have made their way into the food supply. And unlike aspartame, uh, it is stable under heat, even under moderately acidic or basic conditions, allowing it to be used as a food additive in baking or in products that require a long shelf life. And it is widely used in our food supply and often combined with other sweeteners like aspartame and sucralose. And even though it is highly stable, it can eventually degrade to acetoacetamide, which is toxic in high doses. Now, these four artificial sweeteners have been some of the most well-known and popular sugar substitutes on the market, consumed over the decades by millions of Americans and throughout the Western cultures. Now, needless to say that all of the above artificial sweeteners have been linked to cancer initiation and progression. Dr. Colin T. Campbell in his book, The China Study, reminds us on page 44 that these and other chemicals such as herbicides, DDT, nitrates, red dye number two, dioxin, and aflatoxin are significantly different in their properties, yet they all have a similar story with regards to cancer. He says, in each and every case, research has demonstrated that these chemicals may increase cancer rates in 
experimental animals. And so there's a lot of um, studies that have been done and have been found um, to link these kind of artificial substances. And as you've heard me go through the podcast, you've heard me use many words that you probably have never um, heard of or paid attention to. I know I had it until I had to um, really examine and scrutinize the food supply that I was consuming over the years and found myself uh, reading labels and uh, having to figure out what these particular uh, ingredients were and then having to even work at trying to pronounce them. So a good thing here is that If you haven't done so already, you might want to listen to episodes 20 and 21, Cancer Initiation and Cancer Progression, which outlines for you how cancer is not a mystery. I think it would be very helpful to make the connection between the chemicals and compounds and molecules that are created and then added to our food supply and how, um, if you can imagine, there are so many thousands of them. And so uh, we really do not know how all of them combined and consumed over decades work against us. And uh, we certainly want to make sure that we remove them as much as possible from our food supply. The following resources are going to be very helpful to you for further information. Fat Chance by Dr. Robert H. Lustig, American Pediatric Endocrinologist. Dr. Stan Eckberg, E-K-B-E-R-G, Board Certified Chiropractor, Functional Nutritionist, He has a YouTube video presence and his uh, YouTube videos on sugar are excellent. I really like him. He is a teacher for sure. Dr. Mark Hyman, he is the founder and director of the Ultra Wellness Center. I've quoted him before, the head of strategy and innovation of the Cleveland uh, Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. And he has the blood sugar solution as one of his works. Dr. Warren Peters, Loma Linda University. His master's degree is in biostatistics and epidemiology guide, the research interest um, in the genetics and brain chemistry of obesity. He has a beautiful TED talk, Gut Bugs and You, and you should check him out. You can find it on YouTube. You will encounter many scenarios where you will have to make one choice over another as I did and as you you continue to master the law of nutrition. And this will require wisdom. Wisdom to maneuver through these uh, scenarios is grounded in becoming a critical health thinker, which will provide you everything you need to be your own best health advocate. Tell me what to do versus I have the health and wellness basics in place. I need to have wisdom in every scenario is a very good thing. Well, the principle here is that any artificial ingredient, sweetener, uh, chemically bound food or beverage should be scrutinized, examined and studied before consuming. 
to abstain from them altogether to the best of your ability is to abstain from interrupting your good condition, normal, efficient functioning, human design. And guess what? We don't have to go there. Well, we have arrived at this podcast, Critical Health Thinking Skill and Application, and I have two today. If you haven't already removed all artificial sweeteners from your food supply by exchanging them for a more structured to your being natural sweetener, uh, you should consider starting right away. Pay special attention to food labels when purchasing foods in a can, bottle, box, or a bag, making sure they do not contain any of these artificial sweeteners. And second, there is a great TED Talk video on YouTube called Gut, Bugs, and You, I just mentioned, by Dr. Warren Peters. I highly recommend it. It is a good summary of the microbiome, and you should check it out. And please join me for episode 47, Sugars for Life, part 7, as I introduce you to plant alcohols and you. And it is my hope that after all your listening, you will experience how simple health really is. <music>